Amen. Don't you want to see the choir loft like that every Sunday? Wasn't that incredible? That was great. Love to see different generations there worshiping the Lord together and leading us in worship. I want to ask you a question this morning as we continue this sermon series on heaven. You know, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? How many of us this morning have someone, a loved one who is in heaven today? Probably most of us in this room would say yes. It could be a, a parent. It could be a child. It could be a grandparent. Could be a sibling, uh, someone again that we have who is in heaven today. Let me say this again right up front because we've been talking about this as we go along. Heaven is a real place. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So heaven is a real place. And in this sermon series, we've been talking about heaven. We've talked about what should we expect. We talked about how do we go there. We've talked about what will be missing. And today I want to focus on what are we going to do when we are in heaven. Yesterday, the Lord gave me an opportunity uh, to have a personal phone call with a lady. She may be here today. I'm not sure. But, but I ended up, she, she had a need in her life and wanted somebody to pray for her. So I called and had a word of prayer with her yesterday morning. And in the midst of the conversation, I asked her about her relationship with Jesus. And so I asked her, I said, you know, if life ended, do you have confidence, assurance that if you died, you'd spend eternity in heaven? And she said, I don't have that kind of assurance. And so I said, are you okay over the phone if I share with you how you can have the assurance, how Jesus can change your life? And so yesterday morning on the phone, I shared the good news of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, how much God loves her how Jesus gave his life for her, how she had sinned and disobeyed him, but how from the cross and the empty tomb, she could have a personal relationship to Christ. And if she would call on the name of the Lord, he would save her over the phone on a Saturday morning. And so she said, I'd love to pray that prayer. And so I led her in a prayer of commitment to Christ yesterday morning. And at 11 minutes after 10 yesterday morning, she gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still saving boys and girls and men and women this very day. And so if you don't know how to go to heaven, again, we'll share the gospel throughout this sermon, but you can know Christ as your personal savior, just like that lady did on the phone yesterday. As we think about heaven, you and I know this, heaven's not going to be boring. There's nothing boring about worshiping God forever and forever and forever. You know this, that heaven is not going to simply be one long church service as we understand it. We're going to worship, fellowship, and serve. We'll talk about those. It's not going to be this unending Christmas pageant that oftentimes we think about. And we're not even going to sit on clouds and play harps and eat angel food cake. It's going to be so much more than that when we find ourselves in God's dwelling place in glory at home with the Lord. So on your outline, I want you to fill in a few blanks here with me and I want you to understand these, a couple of questions that will set us up. Why did God save us and leave us here? It's a great question. Why did he save you and me and then leave us here? Let me give you the answer to that. God saved us and left us here. So one, we would reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he also saved us and left us here so that we could prepare to spend eternity in heaven with him. Now, John Mark leads our worship ministry, and when it comes to the worship choir and the worship team and even the tech team and so forth, you realize this, that they come and put in hours upon hours every week preparing to lead us in worship on Sunday mornings. Why wouldn't they just show up and sing? Well, there's value in preparation. 
I spend literally hours upon hours every week working on a sermon. Why would I just show up on a Sunday morning and say, Lord, whatever you want to say, we'll say it, but I'm not going to do any preparation. That's not wise to do that, whether it's music or preaching. He wants us to prepare. And so God saved you and me and left us here. Why? So that we would reach people with the gospel but also so that we would prepare to spend eternity with him in heaven. Look at the second question. Are we focused on what is seen or unseen? As you and I think about life on this earth, are we focused on what is seen, the stuff of this world, or are we focused on what is unseen, things of eternal matters? If you and I are not careful, we can focus so much on this world that we miss what eternity is going to be like. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having stuff and enjoying life. We all do that. But we need to make sure that our focus is on what is unseen, laying up treasures in heaven, spending eternity with him. What are we going to do when we get there so that we're preparing now to do that, not just the stuff of this world? Uh, There was a show some years ago on TLC. It was called Hoarding Buried Alive. Anybody ever seen that? It's amazing how that, that family lived. And as you watch that show and you realize if we take our eyes off Jesus and off what matters for eternity, then we could be buried alive by the stuff of this world. And God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to enjoy life. Yes, enjoy the pleasure of life in many ways, things that we get to experience. But also he wants to make sure that we're living life with our eyes on eternity, what is unseen, because one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to enjoy eternity with him forever and forever and forever. So he saved us to reach people and to get prepared, but also we need to focus on what is unseen, not just what is seen. Now, here's the big question. When it comes to heaven, what are we going to do there? So over the next number of minutes, I want to give you some insight to that. Straight from God's word is we're going to see, and here's number one. What are we going to do in heaven? Worship God. We're going to worship him. Can you imagine? We see that in Revelation 19 in that passage. It says what? Just two words. Worship God. You worship him. He is the one who is worthy to be worshiped. Can you imagine when we see the face of Jesus Christ for the first time? What what are we going to do? I've met people in ministry over the years, and here's what many of them say. They say, I can't wait to get to heaven and give God a piece of my mind. Mm -mm -mm. I can't believe you're going to do that uh, because I don't imagine you're going to have much to say when you see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be on our faces before him, adoring him and worshiping him. And can you imagine what that's going to be like? Because worship is a verb. It's what you and I do in the Christian life. And when it comes to worship, God reveals himself and then we respond to him. And worship, again, is at the heart of heaven, but it should also be at the heart of what we do as a church. A.W. Tozer, one of the great writers, used to talk about churches that were declining and dying. And he said, in many of these churches, declining and dying, he said, they just don't know how to worship the Lord God Almighty. And Tozer went on to say, he said, a church that can't worship is a church that must be entertained. And he said, if you can't lead the church to worship, then you're going to be the one who's going to entertain the people on Sundays. And church, I can say this with all sincerity, John Mark, myself, our team, we we don't want to come on Sunday mornings just trying to entertain you. We want to gather as God's people, worshiping a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God who is worthy to be worshiped. And we're going to do that on this earth because we're going to do it forever and forever and forever in heaven. Let's worship him. Worship God. 
And so as you think about worship in heaven, you think about worship on earth, what is it going to look like? I encourage you to write these three things down. Number one, God-centered. Worship in heaven, but also worship on this earth should be God-centered. We're going to make much of the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty. What did, what did they say? Worship God, worship him. So in heaven, there's singing going to take place. But here's the big question. When you and I get to heaven, is, is singing going to be traditional, blended, or contemporary? Um, think about that one for a little bit. And here's what I would tell you based upon the word of God again. It's not based upon style because worship in heaven is based upon a savior who gave his life for you and me. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So regardless of style, let's make sure that when we gather on Sundays, other times, even in our own personal lives, that the focus of worship is Jesus, not something else. Because worship is going to be God-centered. Worship God. We don't worship people. We don't worship a style. We worship the Lord God Almighty. Number two, it should be spirit-led. As you and I think about worship in heaven, as we think about worship here on earth, we should be spirit-led in that. It should be in order, should not be chaotic, should not be wild. And we're not asking people to jump over pews and run up and down aisles, but there should be life when we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If we worship and we look like we're in a coma, something is missing in our expression of worship. Because when you look in heaven, what are they? They're bowing down before God. They're giving thanks to him. They're shouting to him. They are worshiping God with expression. You and I should worship the Lord being spirit-led in our worship. Are there times in my life when I'm praying or I'm even by myself or even Angie and I together or even with you as a church, I will bow on my knees and my face before God because I want him to know I'm surrendering everything to him. There are times in worship, I'm not doing it for expression, for to somebody to notice, but there are times I just want to lift my hands to him and say, God, I adore you and love you because expression is appropriate in worship. Again, not out of control, but spirit-led, honoring unto Christ, not making a scene, not making a name for oneself, but to say, Lord Jesus, you gave everything for us. I surrender my life to you because you are the focus of my worship and I'm led by the spirit of Christ. Number three, word driven. As you and I worship God, it's going to happen in heaven because again, everything is going to be true. But even on this earth here, we need to focus and make sure that our, our worship is word driven. That's why the songs we sing, we want to be faithful to God's word. That's why when I come to this pulpit, I come with a Bible because I don't want it to be about Reader's Digest information. I want it to be based upon the word of God that is inerrant, infallible, and all authority. We want it to be based on truth. This should be word-driven. This is what God says. And we want to be faithful to God's word. And so when you and I think about heaven, here's what's going to happen. In heaven, we are going to worship God. And if we're going to do that forever and forever and forever, then we need to practice that now. So worshiping God corporately but individually is a wise decision for those who are believers in Christ. We're going to worship him in heaven. Number two, what are we going to do? We're going to serve Jesus. Now, now I'm going to ask you a question again, and, and I don't want you to raise your hand because your boss may be looking at you, but how many of you hate your jobs? You don't like going to work. I mean, you just don't like, experts will tell us the majority of people in life just dislike or hate what they do for a living. 
It happens all the time because we just don't like it. But, but when you look in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, they, they worked, they served. And then there was the fall, there was sin, there was the curse. And what happened? It became very difficult. Work did. But when you and I get to glory and we spend time with the Lord again, what's going to happen? We are going to work, we're going to serve, but there's going to be joy, there's going to be fruitfulness, and there's going to be pleasure in doing that. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, what does the Bible say there? The scripture says this, his servants will worship him. Depending on your translation, it could say his servants will serve him. Because the word idea, the, the insight there is this idea of serve and worship, same concept, but we're going to worship and serve not under compulsion, but because we desire to obey Christ and to worship and serve him. Now, here's the thing. Why are so many churches, though? If we're going to do this in heaven, we're going to worship God in heaven. We're going to serve Jesus in heaven. Why do so many churches have such difficulty with people volunteering to serve and to work in ministry? Why is that the case? I mean, why why are so many churches and pastors and church leaders almost begging people to serve in ministry? Why is that the case? Let me give you one example for that. Here's something in the life of this church that's coming up just in a couple of months. Vacation Bible School. One of the most significant ministries we do all year long. If we're going to reach children and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why, why do we have to keep appealing again and again and again? We need more workers for VBS. We need more workers for VBS. Why wouldn't we just have people standing in line to serve because we're going to reach kids and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ, have fun, but to share Christ? Why wouldn't we want to volunteer and serve in that ministry? Because we're going to serve in heaven. Well, let's practice here on earth and let's volunteer for these ministries. We should not have to beg people to serve in ministries like that. If you're available, you've got the time. The Lord has saved you and gifted you. Serve Jesus. What a great way to do so by reaching this generation and their families with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so you can still sign up and serve. We need you if we're going to reach families in Vacation Bible School in the next couple of months. Well, let me give you these insights. Number one, God-centered worship is a lifestyle. Serving is a lifestyle. And, and I just encourage you as you think about what I just said, it's a lifestyle. Never confine worship or service to just a Sunday morning thing at all. It's not just that. It should be every day of your life. You are worshiping God and you're serving him because God-centered worship is a lifestyle. It's who we are. It's what we do in life. Number two, God saved us and left us here to serve him. He saved us. He left us here. He's gifted us by his Holy Spirit so that why? We can serve him. We don't serve this world. We're not laying up treasures on this earth, but we're serving him, laying up treasures in heaven because he saved us, gifted us, left us here that we would serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then number three, God invites us to serve him out of obedience. When you look at Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the Lord, experienced forgiveness, heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What did Isaiah say? Here am I, Lord, you send me. It was not out of compulsion. It was out of obedience. And what is the great indication that you and I will walk out these doors, we'll log off a computer screen that we have worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not if we sung the songs or gave an offering. It's based upon will we obey the leadership of Christ? 
And so you and I shouldn't be compelled out of compulsion to serve him, but we should do so out of a heart of obedience. Lord, you saved me. You've gifted me. You've left me here. I want to serve you because I want to obey the leadership of the Spirit. So in heaven, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to worship God. In heaven, what are we going to do? We're going to serve Jesus. Number three, in heaven, what are we going to do? We're going to enjoy relationships. We're going to enjoy relationships. Let me, let me give you a couple of words here quick. Number one, fellowship. In heaven, we're going to fellowship. There's no isolation in heaven. In, in, in chapter 19, what does he say? Let us rejoice and exult. It's about doing this together. That's why the local church matters. Yes, solitude is important. I get along with the Lord, listen to him, worship him, hear his voice, follow his leadership. That's important, but there's togetherness, fellowship matters. That's why the local church matters. That's why what we do on Sundays, Wednesdays, other times during the week, they matter in the lives of believers. We're going to be with believers from around the world in heaven. We need to fellowship with one another here on this earth as well. Share burdens with each other. Help each other out in life. Be there in the good times and the bad times. Fellowship, share together. Second word is the word reunion. As you and I think about spending eternity in heaven, we're going to be with people throughout the ages. For example, we're going to, we're going to adore the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see his face. But also know this in heaven, we're going to be reunited with believing loved ones again. But also in heaven, we're going to fellowship with saints throughout the ages. Let me give you some biblical context of that back in the Old Testament. You can even see this even then. For example, in Genesis chapter 35, we see this talking about Isaac. Now, the days of Isaac were 180 years. That's a long life. And it says, Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people old and full of days. And so what do you see there? You see Isaac gathered, he died, but he gathered with his people. Genesis chapter 25, talking about Abraham, it says Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. There's something again about fellowship and being reunited together with loved ones again. Look at this one here in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, I want you to see this text in chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, talking about David and David's son who died. And here's the context. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. There's this idea. David is understanding. I'm going to be with my son again. I'll never forget preaching that funeral. We had a family in our church years and years ago, went through a car accident. It was a mother and two sons. One of the sons, six years old, lost his life in that car accident. And and I had the responsibility of preaching that funeral. And I used that text. Even though the son could not come back to them, one day, mom, dad, they would go and be with their son. There's this idea of fellowship and there's this idea of this reunion, being reunited together again. One of the things that when I look back on life and, and God's been very good to me in so many ways and I've had the opportunity of meeting some very interesting people in life. I remember back in the year 2000, I was in Amsterdam with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and I met many, many believers from around the world. But you may remember the movie, The End of the Spear with the Nate Saint and, and the other missionaries that went to Ecuador to share the gospel and they were ultimately martyred doing so. Well, when I was in Amsterdam at that time, I had the opportunity of meeting Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint. 
And there's a movie about all this as well. So I met Steve and able to talk to Steve and able to just interact with him for a little bit. And, and they went down to reach the Auk Indians and these Indians ultimately speared these missionaries and martyred them. But ended up, interesting enough, Nate, Nate Saint, so Steve's son, whom I'm talking to, there's this Indian with him and his name is Menke. And come to find out Menke is the very one who speared Steve's dad. Nate Saint killed him. I mean, here's, I'm shaking hands with a guy that martyred one of these missionaries, Nate Saint. Here's the interesting part. Even though they went to Ecuador to share the gospel and, and Nate lost his life because of this Indian speared him, came to Christ and is now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Steve is still relating with Menke, a wonderful relationship. And so the conversation came to say, Menke, when you find yourself in heaven and you see Nate Saint, the one you speared, what are you going to say and what are you going to do to him? This Aka Indian, Menke, who speared Nate Saint, he said this, when I see Nate Saint in heaven, I'm going to run to him, I'm going to throw my arms around him, and I'm going to thank him, thank him, thank him for bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to my tribe and to me personally. Folks, that, that's, that's enjoying relationships. That's what's going to happen in heaven. We're going to be with one another. We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be with believing loved ones. We're going to be with saints throughout the ages. And we're going to enjoy relationships, not isolation, fellowship, reunion, worshiping Jesus, serving him, fellowshipping forever and forever and forever. Can, can you comprehend that? We're going to do that forever. Look at number four, receive rewards. Now, now many times in ministry, you don't hear a lot of sermons about rewards, uh, what well, we get to heaven, we're going to have these rewards or crowns. and What are we going to do with them? We, don't, we didn't hear a lot about that. But I want to talk about this. In the Bible, there are two judgments that you're going to see. You may want to write these down. One is called the great white throne judgment. It's out of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, the judgment, the great white throne judgment for those who are not believers in Christ. So the good news is, if you know Jesus in your life, you've turned from your sin, you put your trust in him, you will never stand in the great white throne judgments. Only for those who are non-believers who've rejected Jesus in life. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there is another judgment. It is called the judgment seat of Christ. It is for those of us who are believers. It's not based on salvation, it's not based on that because we're saved and we'll always be saved. That's what eternal security means. But the judgment seat of Christ is based upon how do we live our lives. And so whether you're a kid, a student, or an adult, God cares how you and I live the Christian life. It matters to him. And if it matters to him, it should matter to us because one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he is going to reward us for how we lived the Christian life. Crowns rewards. And then here's the big question. What are we going to do with them? Why do rewards make a difference? I want to give you these words because I want you to understand something about rewards. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. Why do they matter? What are we going to do with them? How does it benefit us in heaven that we're carrying around these crowns, these rewards? What does all this mean? Here's some things. Number one, protects us. Rewards protect us. 
What does that mean? It protects us against pride. It protects us against egotism. It protects us against competition. Because as I go along in a Christian life, I'm not trying to compare myself to anybody else. I'm not saying I've led more people to Christ than you. There are more people in my Bible study than your Bible study. I give more than you give. We're not talking about that at all. We want to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And rewards protect us in the sense to say, Jesus, we are trusting you. What did Dr. Charles Stanley always say? You just obey God and leave the consequences to him. That's what we're talking about. You obey God and he will bless you and reward you as he desires in your life. Second, they motivate us. When you talk about crowns, rewards for those who are faithful to Christ, motivate us to do what? That Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we are to spur other believers on, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so when we think about the Christian life and we're going along in life, I want to encourage other believers to be faithful to Christ, give him their best, and experience the joy and the abundant life that Jesus promised. They motivate us to encourage one another in the Christian life. It's not all about me. How can I encourage you, disciple you, equip you to be faithful to Christ and enjoy the Christian life? Number three, convict us. Convict us to do what? Convict us to say, Lord Jesus... I want to live faithful to you. I want to give you my best in life. I don't want to give you what I don't need. I don't want to give you what's left over. I don't want to give you stuff that really doesn't matter. I want to give you the absolute best in my Christian walk and Christian life. So are you giving your best to Jesus? Are you encouraging other believers? Are you stop comparing yourself to one another, to somebody else? But are you, are you saying, Lord Jesus, here is the best of my life. Let me give you number four, lead us. They lead us to do what? They lead us rewards to focus on, God, I'm living for your approval, not the applause of this world. You need to understand that. We're we're not living for the applause of this world. We're living for the approval of God that one day, when we see the face of Jesus Christ, stand in the judgment seat of, of Christ to rewards, we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. No sweeter words we could hear than well done, good and faithful servant. Then number five, inspire us. Inspire us to do what? To make sure his church, his bride, is faithful, is healthy, is effective, is making a difference in the lives of people. And then we're going to receive rewards and it's going to inspire us to say, Lord, we want your bride to be, to be ready when you return that we are serving you, we're faithful, and we're making a difference for the great commission and the glory of God. We're going to receive rewards. Now, Let me give you number five. And here's where it all comes down to. Number five is surrender everything. We're going to surrender everything. What am I going to do with these rewards? We're going to surrender them. What do we see? We see that. Go back to Revelation chapter four. As you see this context in Revelation four, it says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down. There's expression in heaven before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And notice this next phrase. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. What are we going to do with these rewards? It's not going to be about boasting. It's not going to be say, look how much more I did than you. We're going to surrender everything in heaven and we're going to put them at the feet of Christ in heaven. It's about worship. It's about surrendering everything. And now one night we were serving with some in our church. We were serving in a homeless kitchen. 
outside of downtown Cincinnati. And we go to this homeless kitchen and, and, and we're there serving. And then I meet a, a man and I'll share more of the story in just a moment. I meet a gentleman there who we were serving dinner to, someone homeless in his life. His name was John. And so I meet, meet with John. And so, so one of the questions I asked John, John, did you get enough to eat? Because we want to make sure that anyone who was there got enough to eat. John said, I had, had plenty of food tonight. Thank you so much. And the conversation continued, and John uh, was very open to a conversation. So I transitioned that to talking about where he went to church at. And then from there, we started talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And John said, I know without any doubt, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Very confident. And then I asked him again about, what, what about going to heaven? Do you know that you're going to go to heaven? He said, I know I'm going to heaven. Then the conversation turned to, what are you going to do in heaven? And here's what John said, homeless man. I mean, we're talking about, do you have enough to eat? And then we're talking about knowing Christ and going to heaven. And what are we going to do in heaven? And John said this, I can't wait to get to heaven because in heaven, I'm going to cast all the crowns the Lord gives me in life at his feet. And in that homeless kitchen, I thought there is one of the greatest theological lessons you could ever get right there from a homeless man who knows Christ, who knows he's going to heaven, and who understands that whatever crowns he has in life, he's not going to boast about them. It's not going to be about ego. He's going to surrender them at the feet of Jesus Christ. What an incredible story. Surrendering everything. Right down this blank, he's worthy. Why would we surrender everything to him? Because he's worthy. I mean, that's what they're saying in heaven. He's worthy to receive glory, honor, and praise. He's, he's worthy to do that. As you and I think about worship in heaven, you think about going to Africa, the big five of Africa, these are animals, but the big fundamental three and foundational three of worship is are we going to praise him? We're going to pray and we're going to share the word. Are we doing those things in worship? We do all of those things. Why? Because he is worthy to do them. And then that same night in that homeless kitchen, as we walked in that night, the buzz was as we were there, Jerome Simpson is in the room. And so I'll be honest, I didn't know exactly who Jerome Simpson was. And I found out he played for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was a football player. He had been arrested for drug possession. And his attorney said, if you'll go work in a homeless kitchen, uh, you'll look favorable more before the judge. And so everyone there that night when we walked in, even some of our people in church, they're talking about, you know, people wanted his picture, wanted to take their picture with him. They wanted his autograph. And so I finally was able to see Jerome Simpson and he was serving in some ways. And then here's what happened in that context. I mean, the Holy Spirit convicted me to say, are you willing to sit down and have a conversation with Jerome Simpson? I thought, well, Lord, I don't know him. But if I get the opportunity, I'd be willing to invite him to do so. And lo and behold, there in the night, as we were serving, our paths crossed, and I got to meet him, introduce myself. He introduced himself. I said, I said, Jerome, I don't, I don't know if you're willing to do this, but would you be willing to sit down here at this table with me? Because I'd just like to talk to you for a minute. And here, here's a, a wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals said, I'd be glad to do so. We sit down at this table, and I start talking to him about his life, and I talk to him about his relationship with Christ. And he said this. He said, my grandmother must be praying for me right now. I said, if you've got a grandmother that prays for you about your relationship to Christ, you have a wonderful grandmother. And then here's this football player, Cincinnati Bengals, and I talked to him about his relationship with Christ. And I said to him, I said, Jerome, you've got a, you've got a platform I don't have in life. 
When I came into this homeless kitchen tonight, there's not anybody who wanted a picture with me. There's nobody who asked me for my autograph. Everyone here is doing that. And Jerome, if you'll surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you'll trust him in your life. You'll surrender your platform to him. He will use you beyond anything you can ask, think, or imagine. And then I prayed with him. And just said to him, I surrender everything to him. In church, I don't have any hesitation. And I will never apologize asking all of us in this room and those who are watching, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't live with closed fists, live with open hands, surrender everything to him in life. Because when we get to heaven, we will surrender it all to him. Practice now. Look at the seconds. That's it. Let's practice. So as we think about this invitation coming up, and we're going to sing I Surrender All, how many of us that's just a song or is it a way of life for us? It should not just be a hymn for us. It should be a way of life for us. Jesus, because you are worthy, you died on the cross and gave your life victorious over the grave. I surrender everything, Jesus, to you. Surrender to him. I want to ask you in this room, lower level, side sections, up in the balcony. How many of you need to surrender your life to him today? How many of you need to surrender your future to him? How many of you need to surrender your storms, your problems, your trials to him? How many of you need to say, Lord, we're going to sing, I surrender all, but I didn't want it just to be words coming out. I want it to be my life. So Jesus, whatever I'm holding on to today, I surrender to you. And if you need to give your life to Jesus, you need to follow him in baptism, you need to join the fellowship of this church, I just appeal to you, surrender everything to Jesus today. Because you're going to do that in heaven. It's time to practice now. And so what are we going to do there? Well, we're going to surrender everything. Let's do that here on this Sunday as we gather together for the glory of God. Surrender everything to him. So let's bow our heads and we're going to pray and then we're going to begin singing here in just a moment. I surrender all. And I'm going to encourage you, don't let it just be a, a hymn that you're going to sing. Let it be a way of life for you. If you need Jesus, we're going to be here in front. We'd love to connect with you. If you're watching online, you can email us and you can contact us. You, you need to be baptized as a believer in Christ. We want to encourage you to surrender. You need to join the fellowship of this church. We want to encourage you to surrender. You're dealing with issues in your life. Just surrender your life to him. God's doing a work in your life. He's calling you in a very specific way. Surrender your life to him. Surrender that to him. Surrender everything to him. Because that's what we're going to do in heaven. Let's do it here on this Sunday. Now, Lord Jesus, I don't know how many times in my ministry I've preached a message, given an invitation and we've been able to sing, I surrender all. It's been more than I could count. And Lord, honestly, there have been times that we've probably done that and it was just song we were singing. But Lord, today, beyond just a song, I pray it's a way of life for us. And I pray as we sing these words, I surrender all, I surrender all, I surrender all. I pray, Lord Jesus, we'll do that today. Lord, we'd love to see people saved. We'd love to see people take a step of obedience. We'd love to see people join the fellowship of our church. Lord, we'd love to see people surrender with storms and adversities and trials, surrender all those to you. And God, the work that you're doing in the lives of people, we'd love to just see surrender today. Surrender to you. I surrender all. 
All to Jesus I give, I surrender everything. And so, Father, beyond the hymn, but let hearts be changed, but lives be set free. In this invitation, Lord, we surrender all to you. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.